Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's time for another Benny J bonus interview brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Bonus time on the Ben Jarosky Show. As I speak, it's Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. Dang, November. Time keeps on slipping, slipping into the something or other. That's an old song. I can't remember the real lyrics. Anyway, here's a headline uh, from the New York Times to give you an idea what's going on in the world today. Uh, something that's on my mind right now, definitely, as we head into uh, the midterms. And this is a story in the New York Times that comes from San Francisco. Pelosi assault suspect had other targets, officials say. This, of course, alludes to the incident that happened a couple days ago when a deranged MAGA man uh, broke into, allegedly, police uh, have made this allegation, uh, broke into the home of Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, uh, and attacked Paul Pelosi with a hammer. Uh, and uh, the reason it's on my mind is not just that it's a horrific crime uh, and a politically linked crime uh, during a very tense moment in American history, uh, very just uh, in a very tense moment uh, in American culture, probably one of the, the scariest, fright, most frightening moments, politically speaking, that I can think of. And I've lived a long time. Uh, but it's the reaction of MAGA uh, to this break into this assault. Uh, mm-hmm. So almost immediately, uh, MAGA countered with some just made up stories, a bunch of lies that uh, said that uh, the assaulter knew Paul Pelosi and that it was um, sort of like a love bizarre love story gone bad uh, and then having made up that lie and disseminated that lie uh, then they made, felt free to make jokes about the lie so now they got memes out there on the internet making fun of it uh, and it's like a total mega attack on reality uh, where they deny the existence of reality uh, and then once they have denied it and they're living in an alternative universe then they feel safe to mock what everybody else believes what everybody else sees you know, it's like, well, it's not real, so we're going to make fun of it. And then they make fun of the assault of an 82-year-old man with a hammer. And um, it's really twisted, bizarre behavior. Never seen anything like it uh, in my lifetime from mainstream politicians. And when I say mainstream politicians, one of them uh, is the former president of the United States, Donald John Trump, uh, with his son, Baby Donnie, uh, who is sending out the memes. So... Uh, I don't know where this is going to end up. Just complete, total denial of everything that is real. So tomorrow, MAGA will announce that the sun rises in the West and sets in the East. And then Donald uh, Trump Jr. uh, will send out a tweet uh, seconding that notion with uh, something that's supposedly funny. And here's the twister rule of it. I talked about this at length the other day, ladies and gentlemen. Elon Musk, who uh, his big mouth got him in in trouble where he ended up having to buy Twitter for $44 billion, way more than it's worth. 
So now he's firing employees so he could free up the money to pay off the bankers who lent him the money to buy that operation for far more than it's worth. He's kind of like walking this tightrope where he has to appeal to MAGA and say, I'll let you put any old junk on Twitter while reassuring advertisers that I will not let them put any old junk on Twitter. So what does he do? He tweets out, you know, uh, a tweet about, well, you know, the real story may not be the real story. And then when there's outrage, and I'll cry over it. He pulls it off. That's his way of reassuring MAGA that I'll let you put any old garbage you want on Twitter, whether it's right or wrong. And then reassuring advertisers, oh, yeah, we'll clean things up. In this case, he's cleaning himself up. World makes no sense, ladies and gentlemen, no sense. And advertisers, I urge you to, to flee Twitter. It's not your fault. That Elon Musk spent $44 billion for something that's probably worth, I don't know, $2 billion, if that. Right, enough on that. I'm going to turn to my two distinguished guests who are sitting here patiently listening to me and um, probably have thoughts of their own. Uh, and so with uh, with that, I'm going to ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves, as we always do in the Ben Jarowski Show. I'm going to start with distinguished guest whose first initial is R. Distinguished guest with the first <laughs> initial R, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Rosemary Fourier, and I teach labor history at Northern Illinois University, and I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I also am director of the Mother Jones Heritage Project, and we are very excited to be announcing a uh, statue in the city of Chicago for Mother Jones, and so I hope that we can talk about that. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Rosemary. And distinguished guest whose first uh, letter is E. Introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Elliot Gorn. I teach at Loyola University Chicago in the history department. And I've been lucky enough to uh, work with Rosemary a little bit on trying to keep the memory of Mother Jones alive, including the building of this statue, which, wonder of wonders, is going to happen. Yeah, so let's take the deep dive. Thanks, both of you, for coming back on the show. This is the second appearance for Elliot and Rosemary uh, talking about Mother Jones. The first one, a uh, very popular show we dropped, I forget how long ago it was, uh, in, uh, it's called Radical Chicago. I think that's what it's called. I could have it reversed. It could be Chicago Radicals. I don't know. It's Radicals in the title. And uh, in that uh, conversation, uh, Elliot and Rosemary, you kind of led us through Chicago's history uh, with labor, with uh, with the left, and why you thought it was so important to pay tribute uh, to Mother Jones. So, uh, Rosemary, why don't you uh, just, why don't I start with you, explain who uh, Mother Jones is and, uh, you know, why you think uh, there, there should be a statue in her honor. Go ahead. Well, uh, Mother Jones in her time was uh, the most famous labor radical in the country, she was, as Elliot once uh, said, the Johnny Appleseed of the labor movement. And it wasn't just that she was a fantastic organizer, but it was also that she blended a global perspective on workers' rights and a radical view of the future into everything that she did and made it seem okay to think about big dreams as you were facing the limits of your life that you could imagine, well, as she would say, a four-hour work, work day in the future, or workers having expanded rights from you know, the limits of their 
you know, the, the dirt cabins that miners might um, um, have to have to live in, that they could think of a, a world in which they had more control. So, uh, and, you know, organizing little children, getting rid of child labor, things that seemed unimaginable in her time. Um, you know, she thought workers should think of big things as they organized for the small. So I think that she speaks to us in our moment when she would look at us and say, what is the matter with you? And she would put a curse in there. <laughs> Why are you accepting it? Why are you on your knees? <laughs> Get off your knees and, uh, you know, think of, uh, think of your rights and uh, uh, think of a world in which workers had more power. She would have had great words for Elon Musk by the way, <laughs> um, that none of them would be very clean. So I, I'll let Elliot join in on. on Elliot, that. explain the connection to Chicago. Uh, well, let me just first say, and I will, um, it's, it's important to remember how famous she was. She was really one of the most famous women in the country. Um, you, you almost couldn't be alive in say 1910, 1915 and not know who Mother Jones was. Um, she was, she was a great speaker, not just as, as, as I mean, a great organizer and, and for the rights of labor and exactly the kind of vision, as Rosemary says, that she gave to workers, but also in the day-to-day -day organizing, the nuts and bolts organizing in particular trades and particular unions, particular kinds of workers, always trying to bring in women, uh, people from uh, uh, um, ethnic groups, from different ethnic groups. One one person who once watched her gives a speech, and she gave electric speeches, filled with profanity, filled with humor, um, and 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 one person described her as speaking with with uh, what he called all she had the 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 Italian miners and the Slavic miners could understand her because she spoke with profanity. He said, <laughs> and, and and with French classics, another word for profanity, and they understood her vehemence. Um, uh, as, as, as Upton Sinclair said, um, she was the walking wrath of God, this little old woman. And you got to remember, she's in her 60s, 70s, 80s when she's doing this, 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 uh, this old, you know, dressed in ancient kind of Victorian dress, and then just getting up there and is electric. Chicago, in some ways, was, was the most, it was, Chicago was probably the most important single location to her in the United States. She was all over. She traveled all over to organize people. She was she was born in Ireland. The family moved to North America to Toronto when she was an adult. She moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Married a man who was an iron molder. They had four children, and in the yellow fever epidemic, her husband and all four children died. Um, she came back to Chicago where she had spent just a little bit of time before that. Uh, she had been a teacher. Now she she also had the skills of a dressmaker. Opened a, a shop, and it was burned out in the fire. So so this succession of tragedies: first the Irish famine, then the yellow fever epidemic, then the fire. So she she's a a, a, a woman alone in this big bustling city as a, a middle aged person now, and she sort of she's around, but she sort of disappears. At least disappears from any kind of being able to trace her until about almost till 1900, a little before that. And that's when she develops her interest in labor and workers and workers here in Chicago, um, which was often thought of as, as the most radical city in America, certainly the most pro-labor city in America. Uh, 
so many movements begin here, unions begin here. And she was by the late part of the century speaking, getting known, beginning to travel the country, uh, becoming becoming the famous, becoming Mother Jones. She had she was born uh, uh, Mary Harris. She married a man named George Jones and became Mary Jones. But by 1900, knowing that she has become Mother Jones, she insists on it. And eventually, presidents, captains of industry, labor leaders, everyone calls her Mother Jones. That's who she becomes. But I would also uh, sorry, emphasize that, you know, she, th this is a seedbed. Chicago, she, she contributes to Chicago. She's a kind of ambassador of radical Chicago to the rest of the country. Um, and she is also learning from people in Chicago. You know, uh, this is the city of Haymarket, and this is the first chapter, our first ma major chapter in her book about, uh, you know, her learning process is on, is from Haymarket. So, you know, she belongs here. We had to make the case that Chicago helped to make her, and she was, um, you know, a representative of Chicago, the Chicago idea and the labor movement. You know, Rosemary, you just said something uh, that I know you know what it means when you say it, and Elliot knows what means knows what you mean when you say it. But help us out. The city of Haymarket. Time for a little history lesson. Uh, Rosemary, take a, take it away. The city. What do you mean by the city of Haymarket? Well, this is the place that the movement for the eight-hour day really gelled in eighteen eighty-six. There was this campaign. Uh, for the eight-hour day, and through mass action, everybody, 100,000 people going on strike and, and saying, you know, we want shorter hours, we want a way to live. And the leaders of that were anarchists, but, um, and, you know, the, the movement itself was condemned as being anarchist-influenced. But then when a, a meeting took place in front of McCormick Works uh, in in favor of the eight-hour day and in relationship to a strike, police just started knocking heads and workers got killed. There was a protest movement at that met in um, at Haymarket uh, Square, and uh, it was pretty peaceful uh, in in protest of that uh, police brutality. But then uh, police charged that meeting and a bomb was thrown. Nobody to this day knows who threw the bomb for sure, but in reaction to that, the entire movement was tarnished. The whole eight-hour day movement was tarnished. And as Mother Jones says in that chapter, you know, uh, these men were condemned to death. They were taken to the gallows, um, but their memory lives on. And I think we might think of that because just as the Haymarket martyrs, the men who were um, hanged, uh, in in order to stop the eight-hour day, as she says, and as they said, you know, they hang people not for any criminal uh, case. Uh, you know, they, they had uh, they had no evidence that these men had even been there, but they wanted to stop their memory. So you know, we have to think about the the role of memory here. And Mother Jones tried to carry on that story in her biography in a time when it was still not okay to talk about the Haymarket martyrs uh, in some parts of Chicago. But certainly working class people 
she encouraged working class people to remember that. And she liked to see herself as in the line of radicals, not being afraid to think about radical ideals. One of the last things she said in a movie in 1930, and it's just unbelievable, it was, it was a clip that I, I turned up in doing a, a video with Elliot um, in which she said, I've been called a red, a radical, an IWW, meaning uh, industrial workers of the world. Um, and I admit to being all they've charged me with. I'm anything that would change this monetization into a higher and grander civilization for the ages to come. And I long to see the day when labor has the destination of the nation in her own hands and will stand a united force and show the world what the workers can do. So she said, you know, her other quotes would talk about this, you know, I'm part of a class that's been put down for a thousand years, you know, and, and I feel the need to tell people that I am of that class and I will fight for that class. So that's really, she thought of this long struggle of the oppressed people of the worlds rising up. Um, and she saw Haymarket in that line. This was a moment, a seminal moment in world history. And certainly other workers across the world do think of it that way. You know, uh, Mexico or in parts of Europe, they spark it in that struggle as part of a long, a long history that they share. This is a global movement. She had interactions with people across the globe. Um, people from around the world wanted her to come there and organize them too. I must say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Rosemary did that quote from memory. That was very impressive. Either that or you have it on your wall and I can't see the quote there. No, she, that was memory. That was very, very impressive. Thank you. Uh, and uh, all right, let's talk about uh, the the effort to have a statue in her memory. Uh, I support it. I think it's a great idea. Uh, so much of of the struggle right now, as I uh, alluded to in the outset, and we'll get into this later, is just trying uh, to make sure that what happened is actually recorded as what happens. Uh, we're watching now the rewriting on a daily basis of things that are going on right now, and at the same time, uh, but the rewriting of things that happened 100 years ago, or we're being ordered not to teach what happened 100 years ago because somebody might find it offensive, which is really bizarre. I'm on a tangent now. The same people who say they are uh, against any kind of cancel culture are in the process of canceling all kinds of cultures because they find them offensive. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, an irony I'll never tire of pointing out. All right, Elliot, uh, lead us uh, through this. We'll get started, and then Rosemary, you can follow up. Uh, wh whose idea was it to have a statue, and uh, how did you convince the city to say, okay, uh, it's time we have a statue for uh, Mother Jones? I don't know whose idea it was. Was it yours, Rosemary? No, I think it, it's yours, Elliot. Let's let, let, you it? should it. Oh, my fault. Damn. <laughs> really? I didn't, I didn't no, remember that. Right. Elliot was, uh, was, at least in our group, I have to say that a lot of people th uh, have thought different ways of commemorating her. But when there was this issue of women not being represented, represented Elliot took this bull by the horn and said, we're going to do this for Mother Jones. And it caught on very rapidly in our, in our f fledgling group. So, um, you know, 
we all want have been struggling for representation. I mean, when you say cancel culture, sorry, I get so mad because my I'm a working class person and all of my culture has been canceled for most of my life. I've spent my life as an historian being a remember of things that have been forcefully forgotten. Uh, of working class people. Um, and, you know, I stood at Mother Jones statue and became a labor historian, I'm sorry, Mother Jones monument in Southern Illinois uh, and became a labor historian because I thought I lived, I, I grew up near here, I from a mining town and there's nothing that made me knowledgeable about this woman. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I didn't wanna uh, uh, but jump I think that's, to, I think... to give Elliot that credit. Um, well, but I think that's the right answer. Uh, that that um, so much of this does come from ex exactly the sort of thing you were saying, Ben. You know, what do we remember accurately or, or remember at all? And and so so yes, a statue was you know one one piece of it, and and just the knowledge that when we first started thinking about this, um, what statues of women did Chicago have? There's Dorothy in Oz Park. Um, I think that at that moment might have been the only historical the hands of Jane Adams. Were those there already though? That are uh, maybe not. Yeah, uh, it's not. kind of amazing that there isn't a statue of Jane Adams in, in, in this town. So so ju just that. Um and, and now we've we've begun there there's some commemoration. There's a there's the statue in Bronzeville now of Ida B. Wells. There's at least the beginnings of some things going on. Um but yes Mother Jones just was important. She was as as Rosemary says, you know, it's kind of uh in many ways, working class history just gets effaced. People who come from, uh, um, you know, from from working occupations, uh, however you define the working class, we think in other categories, we're better now at thinking in other categories of people who've been excluded in America, but we don't think much about class and, and if anything, less than ever. Um, so that seemed important. Um, uh, and, and again, here was this famous charismatic person. She, it's just hard to imagine how important she was in her day and she's sort of disappeared. Um, even, even in a state where she was very important like West Virginia, until the 60s, you could, she, she died in 1930. There were, she was, when the UMW was still po powerful, you would see posters on the wall of Mother Jones. Uh, um, and then that just faded and disappeared and it just seemed so unjust so many people who are so less important in history um less visionary uh i, I think uh in 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 history so so we thought a statue was at least that's just part of a larger program to try to remember her and remember the labor movement um uh remember work um and, and and let me just say that in doing this with Mother Jones, you're also she was Irish. Uh, uh, Irish Americans in Chicago have been very supportive of this. She's a woman. There were so few women commemorated. It's it's it, you know it, it touches many bases. As she says at one point, um, uh, there, there's no east or west, north or south, uh, no no black or white. Uh, there's working people and 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 their and their bosses. That's not a quote. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't get it. Right. I tried to quote it exactly. But she does say words to that effect. I kind of like that quote, even if she didn't say it. Uh, it's, it's, it's not far. It's not that far. It, it sounds about like the world that I know. Uh, go ahead, Rosemary. 
Yeah, and what I think is that a lot of her, one of the reasons I think she's risen and we've gotten a movement behind this is that she does represent immigrants and the immigrant experience, which wasn't, we have to remember that, you know, that that is something that has been racialized, uh, that in other words, immigrants were uh, thought of as only good for doing one thing, and that is uh, dirt, labor, poor. And, and so we have that hard history that has also been hidden that putting a statue up or a sculpture will help people to remember those working class people who built this nation. Uh, and I think she'd be quite proud to represent not only Ireland, but the immigrant experience, the idea that, as Elliot said, that the labor movement has to cross those boundaries of race. Uh, you know, and, and the other thing I think that I would like her to be remembered for is that she took organizing um, working class women as part of the labor movement uh, very seriously. And in Chicago, she, uh, spur, you know, Elliot and I did an exhibit to the women garment workers she led in Chicago, uh, and just told them to get off their knees too, and to go fill the jails, fill them till they're at capacity. And so it's that vibe, that memory that we have to remember, there has been a great deal of resistance by working class people too, people who were willing to, as she said, go to jail in the cause of justice for everybody. All right, so uh, since the last time we are in the show, you've won a commitment uh, from the city of Chicago. So talk about that, the commitment you've won from the city of Chicago uh, and where the statue will ultimately uh, be presented, placed. Go ahead. Well, we're, we're not going to say where the statue will be placed here. You're going to have to come to our event on November 13th where the play, uh, a table for two at the Dill Pickle, it will be, it's it's free of charge. We'd appreciate donations. Um, but, and Rosemary will, will, will tell you about that, but, but that's coming up at the Irish American Cultural Center on November 13th. We do have a location here in the city that the city has told us is secure and it's a great location. Oh, they, it's not just great. Yeah, it's, that's true. It's really good. <laughs> there was yeah. only one. There was only one better location that's in the whole city. <laughs> the, my dream of having a statue of Mother Jones right across this river from Trump Tower, but that didn't that didn't materialize. But uh, but it was, and, and I'm not sure which way she would have been facing Trump Tower. But that's another story. <laughs> um, uh, but 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 we we um, the city is is giving us some money. We've raised a lot of money ourselves. We need to raise some more. But now it's now there's there's a location, a site. It's time to, with a committee of, of various constituencies, pick a pick a uh, design and a and a sculptor. Um, so it's it's a it's a reality. Uh, this is this is actually we've been at this a long time, but this is actually going to happen. So or at least we. And they're really trying to push us forward. So we're hoping that within a little more than a year, we're going to have that, and it's going to be a big day. I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, as Elliot said, this, uh, this is a, a play, there, there's a play, and we're going to um, have a, a full announcement there. He, uh, if you just write at, to us at motherjoneslives at gmail.com, we'll send you your tickets uh, or send you the link for you to uh, donate for a ticket. So we're hoping that you people email us and will uh, just as a result of them being uh, listening to this show they can uh, access a free ticket uh, mother jones lives at gmail.com okay. um, 
Uh, okay, I'm sorry, Ben. No, you, go ahead. Finish your thought. Uh, no, it's, it's it's just that um, I, you know, I think I think uh, just to follow up one thing that Rosemary said, that I think is so important. It's 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 um, you know, we we go through our 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 um, controversies over immigration today. Uh, when when Mother Jones was alive, Chicago and cities like Chicago, industrial working cities, were two thirds of the population were immigrants or the children of immigrants. Um, and and immigration then as now was controversial when immigration to all of those people who came from Italy, Poland and Chicago, uh, uh, Jews from Slavic nations, Greeks and so on. Immigration was closed to them in the middle uh, of the 1920s by Congress, by the Johnson Reed Act. And the justification was racial. You people are racially inferior. That really was part a big part of the justification. Uh, we want Nordic people. We don't want these other people. Well, Mother Jones was, she fought that as a labor organizer. She was inclusive. She believed in that. And that's, I think, another piece of why this is important. Again, there there is... There is teaching history in, in, in who you pick, who you put statues up, up for. And, and, and since we're both historians, that's, that's, that's something we're aware of. And uh, so now who is going to write, I presume there will be some sort of uh, caption uh, at the statue, uh, some sort of history. Uh, I don't, who will write that and sort of what themes? I think Rosemary will be the writer because you just raised your hand. No, she's no, not I'm the writer. Like, we will, we will. I mean, that okay. is wonderful is that, uh, you know, we've organized this and Chicago uh, has, has acknowledged that this will be, uh, you know, it'll be a group of people who are coming together, but they, there isn't going to be a bar on what is put on, on there. It's not going to be a, you know, a Mother Jones who uh, she will be represented in her true self that we, we know that we're certain of that. Yeah, because I, I sometimes, I mean, it's been a while since I've been to uh, an art show. Uh, I used to go all the time, and then COVID came, and my life changed. But I just always love the little captions on the artwork because it's, whoever would write them, I have no idea who wrote them, uh, would occasionally sneak in a political view uh -huh. every now and then, and of uh, artwork, modern art. I'm like, ah, oh, you snuck that little line about gentrification in, or something like that. Oh, we, we uh, would ne we would never do anything like that. We would okay. never. We, we could, <laughs> well, never would that happen. Uh, no, no, no. Well, I don't think you'd sneak. I mean, how can you avoid it? She's a political figure. Go ahead, Rosemary. No, we want people. Look, this is uh, what I was saying is that one of the things that I noticed when I in, uh, show the film is that that line that I mentioned before, one of the reasons I have it memorized is it's very resonant with people. You know, that the idea that we lost our way and forgot about the big ideas and forgot about really challenging at the root, uh, some of the problems in this country. And, and we wouldn't be doing this uh, statue or sculpture unless it was really worth it. And I think that it's not that uh, these people and working class people don't get represented. So we really do want this. We're hope, our hope is that we'll have a plaza to go with this and that there'll be lots of quotes. Uh, or, and, you know, that that is uh, something that's not, we're not quite ready to announce, but you know we will have her words there. But also, um, we want her power. So that's one of the things we're insistent about: that she's not going to look like a nice little old lady. She was powerful. People said, even though she was so small, she could, you know, overwhelm. I mean, 
just she would go up to a, a man who was uh, taking her on and was just saying, oh, well, maybe we ought to call federal troops in here. Maybe the federal government will, will solve something. One of the lines I just came across, she said, take off your pants, buddy, and let me see your diaper. You know, <laughs> it's like she had that kind of almost rude, but it was like people took it from her because it was like she just spoke some kind of truth to power there, which is you can't just be moderate, right? You have to really stand up for your rights. And so she she brought that to the surface. I think they're, you know, getting them to be a little more, less fearful, more fearless is what she wanted. And, and we do want that to be commu communicated. Uh, that she, she may have looked like a little old lady, that's true, but people really respected fearlessness. And and certainly both Elliot and I have written about that. Elliot, get it uh, get it straight. She said, "I'm not a humanitarian. I'm a hell raiser. I can raise more hell in prison than out." I asked a man in prison once how he got there. He told me he'd stolen a pair of shoes. I said, "You should have stolen a railroad. You'd be a United States senator." <laughs> she, she went on and on, and 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 for the likes. And and this is we're not doing this for antiquarian reasons. We're doing yeah. this because we believe in. In much of, of of what she believed, and and in you know, and in, in hope in the world, and and I think, yeah, for I don't know what she would have called Mr. Musk, um, but she called John D. Rockefeller Oily John, yeah. uh, that was her name for him. She 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 was perfectly willing to, when she when there were troubles in uh, in West Virginia, the governor's named was named Governor Glasscock, whom she said, for modesty's sake, we will call Crystal Peter. You know, she, she just, just, she had a way about her. Taking uh, uh, people down, right? I mean, to our level. And that's what I think uh, we have to recognize that it wasn't just to make fun of them, but it was also to yeah. empower people, the feeling that they're no better than you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the difference with this kind of, uh, you know, Trumpian thing is that his populism uh, takes people down to, uh, disparage everyone to make everyone feel like uh, lesser than her taking down of the powerful and wealthy were meant to suggest that there's a campaign for equality for rights well I, all right i'm gonna and uh, i think you know I, i'm gonna try out a theory of mine and get your response to this uh, because in many ways what you're doing uh with the statue the memorial uh, it goes counter to so what so much of the prevailing culture in our country today. And so I'm going to talk about a TV show uh, that I watched uh, two seasons of it and I couldn't take another minute of it. A very popular TV show that's streaming. Can't believe I, I suffered through that second season. I'm just such a good guy. Uh, the other people in my life wanted to watch it and I suffered through it. And then I said, no mas. All right. It's called Succession. Uh, and I forget what... Uh, that network it streams from, but essentially it it, uh, it worships wealth, uh, and it worships this uh, powerful, fictitious family that I presume was based uh, loosely uh, on the Murdochs, Rupert Murdoch's family. The notion is they own 
all this media, they own a media empire and they're fabulously wealthy. They can do whatever they want. They can fly anywhere at a moment's notice. They never take public transportation. They're always whisked around in chauffeur limousines. They annihilate their opposition. The unions are pathetic. The liberals in Congress are pathetic. The notion of socialism and the larger good is pathetic. It's all about what I can get for myself right now. And everybody really believes that that's kind of the notion of the show. And I wouldn't be surprised if the people who wrote this show are kind of like liberal types who voted for Obama. But whether they realize it or not, they're making a show that worships wealth uh, and worships the Elon Musks of the world and has contempt for the Bernie Sanders of the world. And I just feel this is such a prevailing theme right now in America. I see it all around, all around me all the time. I'm bombarded with it. Uh, and what you're talking about, paying tribute uh, to a woman whose whole life was about uh, organizing people so that they could uh, build for the common good mm-hmm. is completely contrary to, I think, where we are in so many ways uh, as a society. Rosemary, I'll start with you and then Ellie, you get to weigh in uh, with your thoughts about this observation I just made. Well, I think I've never seen that show, but yes, she would have had contempt for that kind of uh, worship or even putting the focus on them because she would, you know, she would have thought that that's, you know, reinforcing oligarchy. She was worried at that time. She said, with this nation in 1910, this nation is nothing but an oligarchy. It's what we teach our children to be is to worship those oligarchs. And and instead, um, and, and in doing so, we forget about, you know, the beauty of democracy and that we ha- don't have one. You know, it's very clear. It was very clear to her we didn't have one because people have to go to work where they worship the oily johns or the uh, the the rich men, in effect, and so she would turn it around. Let me just tell another story of hers. She said, uh, uh, "You know, one of the mine owners operators said, well, what would you do? Have have the men work four hours?'" And her response was, "Yes, yes, I would." You know, um, and and they said, "Well, what? Where would we get the profit?" Well, there wouldn't be any profit for you. Let's forget about that, because we would still have coal, you know, because people would work, and then you'd have to put on rubber boots and go down there in the coal mines as well and actually work. So the operating principle, which I think we've also forgotten, is that money doesn't come from anywhere. You know, people can get it because they hurt people. But that's what she would have us remember is that labor creates the wealth and parasites take it. (laughs) That's the way she thought. And it's not a bad way to look at things today um, because it gives you a different perspective. And I happen to believe it myself that the way that we get wealth is through work. Elliot? Yeah, I think that's very well put. I didn't I didn't have the heart to watch Succession either. I I, I thought about it. Some people I know praise it. And I, I couldn't do it. I, if if it was a good show, it would have made me sick. If it was, you know, a good representation of the Murdoch family, I would have been sick. And if it was a poor one, and, a, and as you describe it, Ben, I would have hated that even more. So this was going to be a no win situation for me. Um, so 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 I didn't. But, you know, what, how much wealth does an individual need, you know? billions and billions of dollars we didn't even we didn't even use the word billionaire we did barely had the word when i was a kid and it's not because of inflation inflation since the 60s is about 
uh, 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 um, $1,000 from 1960s is about six to $7,000 today. Well, a billionaire is a thousand times more money than a millionaire. Remember, remember we used to have this, who wants to be a millionaire? A millionaire is nothing. How did all this wealth accumulate? How did this happen? How do we have billionaires now when we virtually had none uh, just a few years ago, um, a couple decades ago? Well, laws change and people accumulate and, 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 and money is power, nothing but power. Um, uh, Elon Musk now owns the, this, this um, the, the, a, a public forum, uh, what, what used to be, you know, what used to be a, a public forum. He owns it as a private toy. How is that even possible? How do we allow such a thing? Um, and, you know, and, and, and well, well, he earned it. He earned his money. Did he really? Really? You know, every time I see him put up a rocket, all I see is NASA. I see the technology and the science that was developed by the taxpayers paying for it through the United States government. And somehow he acquires it. The one, I happen to know someone very well who, who, who knows the technology of the space program uh, uh, very well, is the one major thing that, that his company has developed as an innovation is reusable first stage rockets. Uh, the first stage is now recoverable. One of the big deal, big deal. The, the technology, you know, the, the, this is all old stuff. We did it, America did it in the 1960s and we're giving that away to some robber baron? Are you kidding me? Don't get me started. <laughs> well, I got you started. Uh, you got me started. Uh, and but you're you're completely counter, both of you, uh, whether you realize it or not. I think you do realize it to where America is today: the worship of wealth. Uh, it's every political campaign uh, since 1980. Uh, it has one way or another worshipped the accumulation of wealth. It's either Republicans openly stating it as uh, Ronald Reagan did: government is is the bad part. Uh, and private entities, the good part, uh, and or Democrats trying to emulate it in their own little way uh, so that they could sneak in, which is the Bill Clinton uh, way of going about things. And Barack Obama largely followed that model. And uh, to some degree, Joe Biden ran that way. So but, you uh, guys are going against the tide here. Go ahead. Rosemary. The tide is, I mean, when you, if you listen to the whispers, you can hear what they do. They're now trying to take social security away, right? This just came over the transom. And it's like, what do people think? You know, that this is how they accumulate wealth by making some of us poorer so that they can take that. You know, we lived with years of people saying we need that social security money for Wall Street. Uh, and everybody seems to forget this. But in years when even Joe Biden, right, was willing to cut social security. And that is why we have that unevenness of wealth, so that you don't have people really fighting for the radical idea that we should keep our own wealth. You know, <laughs> in other words, the stuff that we earn should be ours. And so, you know, those uh, people with the power get to take the money that we create or the wealth that we create. And that's how they become uh, this wealth has become so skewed, you know, the inequality of wealth has become so skewed is because they take it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it's really robbery. <clears throat> I mean, even, even if you're not a radical, even if you're more of a, you know, a, um, someone who's liberal and on, on the, on the, on the left side of the democratic party, like, like, uh, like Elizabeth Warren, it's sort of like, all right, you invented something, you created a factory, you built something, 
good for you. That's a great thing. It's a public service, but you didn't do it without roads that were built to your factory, police that protected it, an educated populace that, that, that you employ. You owe something back. Um, even from that point of view, you owe something back. You owe a lot back, actually, uh, for that. And, and I guess my point about millionaires and billionaires is how much is enough? You know, how much is enough? Uh, 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 it never used to be billions and billions of dollars. You didn't need billions and billions to be considered wealthy in America. Now you do. And then more and more wealth concentrated, uh, more and more, and that's more and more power. Absolutely. All right, run out of time pretty much. Uh, I think we are gonna have to bring you back to have a larger discussion of history. Uh, history is either being outlawed, uh, like <laughs> in some cases, uh, or rewritten in other cases and the impact that it has on working historians like yourself who uh you know every day you got to go into a classroom and lord knows what what bits and pieces of clips will be used against you uh as i said it's a uh it's a very scary time uh right now and they're constantly rewriting history so i'm happy that uh you two have joined the movement to preserve some history, some labor history, some radical history. So one more time, Elliot or Rosemary, I, I don't care who, uh, give the information people need to know about the November 13th show uh, where they can learn where the statue will go, because that'll be the big secret that's revealed on November 13th. So take it away, Rosemary. Yeah, it's November 13th, 3 p.m. at the Irish American Heritage Center on Knox Avenue. If you go to Mother Jones Museum uh, backslash events, the details, or you can email us at motherjoneslives, all one word, at gmail.com, motherjoneslives at gmail.com, and we'll send you there. If, if you Even if you just Google Mother Jones statue, it'll take you to the website and you'll get to events and you'll find all the details. It's going to be good. The play is original. It's never been performed before. It's written by Larry Kerwin, who was nice enough to write this. The man who uh, wrote the, the award-winning play Paradise Square. It's a one-act play. There'll be music. It'll be fun. Whenever, any, whenever we have an, an, an event at the Irish American Cultural Center, it's fun. Yeah. Conan O'Brien, you ever seen his bit about the Irish American Cultural Center? No. When you're we're done with the show, Google Conan O'Brien and Irish American Cultural Center. He came to Chicago for about a week. The comedian Conan O'Brien came to Chicago, did his show for about a week in Chicago at the Chicago Theater. And he has a bit where he takes a visit there. And I've watched it, I don't know, 15 times. Everyone kind of blew. I'm going to put this on because this makes me laugh. Uh, it's pretty funny. Okay. So... Uh, all right, thank you very much, Elliot and Rosemary, and thank you for uh, putting in all that heart and soul uh, into making this happen uh, and doing what you can to preserve a little bit about Chicago's radical past instead of burying it like so many people do. So thank you very much. And thank you, and thank you for doing this podcast. It's great. Rosemary and Elliot, thank you very much. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.